Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns. This is the show where we share cutting edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales to acquire more customers for your business so you can achieve your vision. And today, Kasim, we're going to do a little bit of a departure. No tips and tricks and funny, funny business here on traffic. It's all about getting shit done. And some managerial tactics, I think that the doers out there, the people that are getting it done right now are maybe having a hard time and are like, well, I'm doing all these things that look like they're the right things to do to scale and grow my business on the digital marketing side, but maybe I'm not getting those results. And maybe it's because my people are perhaps underperforming. So today we're going to be talking about how to assist in that because at the end of the day here isn't digital marketing a human endeavor i mean the robots <laughs> it is right now ralph but time will tell the robots <laughs> the robots have not taken over quite yet they are coming yeah, i'm rooting for <laughs> right now you still need people to do this stuff and so we're going to be talking about people tactics here today so how's that strike you you ready for a conversation around that i'm excited man i uh, this is my favorite topic or one of them i always say that an agency only has three things to sell processes programs and people processes are easily commoditizable programs everybody has access to building your own proprietary program generally doesn't work out very few people can do it the real usp for an agency and then by extension for many businesses it's people so critically important and overlooked everybody treats people like they're just cogs to be plugged into the machine when in reality that's all we've got yeah i would submit that it's not people it's the right people because people are important but as you grow as an organization, the people that got you from zero to a million might not be the same people that can get you from a million to 10 million and 10 million to 100 million. And one of the things that and we've talked about this in previous shows is that I've done a lot of our initial discovery calls over the summertime. And one of the big frustrations that businesses have when they come to us sometimes isn't necessarily a traffic question. It's a lot of times it's the staff themselves are just now overmatched because they can't get to that next stage of growth and they're frustrated. I know part of the solution is obviously is helping them through utilization of an agency, which is fine. I'm not saying like that's your solution all the time, but maybe it's your internal team that you need to reevaluate a bit. And we're not necessarily talking to the people that are the frontline workers here in today's show. We're talking to the VPs of marketing, the directors of marketing. Maybe you're running your own organization. You know, I have a call later on today with a CEO of a very successful organization that he is running right into this. And it's the people that are the problem right now. And it might be because he has the wrong people on board to execute on his vision and to achieve his vision. 
And there is an undercurrent through what we're going to talk about here today is having the right people on board. Yes, people are your most important asset, and it's an overused, it's a cliche phrase, but the right people are so much more important now because this stuff isn't getting any easier. Well, and not just that, it's two pronged. So like things aren't getting easier, they're getting more difficult, yes, but also the tools that we're using are massive leverage. And so the right employee takes these, especially the AI-driven tools, but all of these tools that we've been given access to, and turns themselves into hundreds of times the value. But the wrong employee, the mistake they make, it's no longer just one mistake. They're now leveraging and amplifying their own mistakes. And so a bad employee hurts you more than a bad employee used to hurt you because they hurt you on an amplified scale. Yeah. That's an excellent point. I mean, we say on the show, yes, stuff is getting harder. I don't think anything in life is going to get easier as more and more people start doing it. And I do think that with AI and all the automations that we now are on the brink of really being able to explode our productivity, it's going to magnify the potential inadequacies of your staff. And if you've got a mediocre media buyer, it might make them a good media buyer, or it might just magnify their mediocrity. There's two ways in which to look at that. So like when I look at AI and I look at all the things that are coming on down the line, is that if you don't at least control a part of the AI with some high level thinking, then the AI is just going to do whatever it's going to do without your input. And so you have to have input to be able to control it to a certain degree. And I'm not saying completely control it, but at least from a strategy standpoint, be able to understand, okay, this is a good result or this is a bad result. So AI can magnify the inadequacies of your staff, but it can also, on the flip side, it can make a great media buyer an exceptional media buyer if it's used in the right way. So it can it's a double-edged sword here, but at the heart of all of this, and the article that we're going to be referring to here, we'll leave links in the show notes, is all about getting the right people on board. There's three steps that we're going to go through here today to figure out whether or not maybe you have the right folks and the tactics that we use here. And I've certainly espoused through Tier 11. We've talked about this sort of before we hit record here today, certainly resonate with you. And I see a lot of really great managers and great leaders doing these three things. And that's what we're going to discuss here today and relate it back to digital marketing, relate it back to scaling and growing your business and ultimately achieving your vision. So that is the subject of today. The name of the article is The Tough Work of Turning Around a Team from Harvard Business Review. And we're going to dissect that and go into it in very great detail. So before we get into that, do you have a nugget? Oh my goodness, I'm on the spot. I wasn't ready for this. Yes, I do. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. No pressure. So this was given to me by my buddy, Matthias, who's maybe one of the smartest people in the world. He's using a software application called Grist, G-R-I-S-T, Grist. Grist reminds me a lot of Airtable, but what I'd love to do is encourage especially leadership. If you're C-level, director level, it's really important that you have systems for your decision-making. It's critically important that you have systems for your decision-making. As a matter of fact, there's one of my favorite quotes of all time, Ralph Ray Burns, if you don't mind, I'm going to pull it up here. It's Rene Descartes, who's ostensibly the father of 
Western philosophy. And he says, each problem that I solved became a rule which served afterwards to solve other problems. And what's nice about things like Grist or even Airtable, I like Grist more than Airtable because it has no limitation in the automation. Airtable people, shame on you for the automations cap. It's insanity to me. You can't even buy additional automation off. It pisses me off. But with an application like this, what you can start to do is all of the things that you do on a regular basis, you can begin to automate them according to logic. And it's completely customizable. You're effectively coding without having to code. It's maybe my new favorite no-code software. So if you're in a leadership position, don't worry about not being able to code because it's not about coding, it's about logic. If this happens, then do this thing. And just go play with it and you'll start to see the amount of leadership tasks you can automate simply. And I think it's a phenomenal little tool. I'm not an affiliate at all. I should be. But that's my nugget for today is go check out Grist and get really good at process management. If you're in a leadership role, you have to be really good at process management. And the way to do that is to map out your processes. And these little software applications are great places to start. Have you used it yourself or do you have people on staff that have used it? Like, how did you Dude, find out about it? My agency is built on Airtable. So Solutions 8 is built on Airtable from the ground up, which my Airtable implementation is badass. Someday we can go over that if anybody wants to, if that would be a good episode. Grist is like Airtable without the limitations that I hate about Airtable. And, and that's the other thing that's really interesting is you know, you cannot source your pushups. And so I'm really big on delegation for the conversation we're going to have today, which is having the right people in the right seats. But if you don't know that a process is delegatable, you can't delegate it. And so you have to know enough about process management to know what to delegate, how to delegate, how to overview, what the oversight looks like. So there is an element of you have to get in the weeds here a little bit. And that's where I think everybody should go play with something like this. It's really worth the time spent because now you're like, oh my goodness, I can just make somebody else. And now I have that. I've got Julianne, who's the head of our uh, automations team. She's freaking brilliant. She's really the mind behind our Airtable. But if I didn't know how Airtable worked, I never would have known to say, hey, Julianne, can you please go do this thing? I actually think that doing a show, like we really value everyone's feedback here. I mean, today's show is not about media buying and digital marketing, but it actually is. And we're going to relate it back to that. And I think you actually talking through how you guys utilize that in a separate show with some screen captures might actually be really super valuable for folks. But yeah, definitely check it out. So we'll leave links in the show notes. It is Grist, G-R-I-S-T. Yeah, it's getgrist.com, getgrist.com. Getgrist.com. We will leave links in the show notes for that. And make sure that you do check us out over on our YouTube channel. It's perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube, today's conversation, the tough work of turning around a team in three steps. We're going to be getting into that right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouders and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley 
and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right. So we are back. We are talking about performance And we said in the intro here that a lot of the things that we discuss here on this show are, in the end, done by humans. Now, AI, we talked about this a lot in our last show, Advantage Plus Shopping and Google Performance Max, there is an element of letting the algorithm do the work. But still, at the end of the day, and I'm not really a big fan of that expression, but I seem to say it a lot. At the end of the day, Mm. let the algorithm do the work. This is a human endeavor. And you as a business, or whether you're an agency, whether you're a CMO, a director of marketing, a COO that's listening to this, or even somebody who's a frontline worker, this is really, really important stuff because digital marketing and getting results and helping businesses to achieve their visions through new customer acquisition, which is what this show is all about, and traffic and how it all blends together, is a human endeavor, like we mentioned. And the article that I send to my team, and I actually have it in one of my favorite apps. This is maybe another hack, but it's one that I find not many people use. It's called Instapaper. And what it is, is you can take an article, a URL, and you, in essence, share it to your Instapaper app on your phone, and then it'll read the article to you. And then you can do it at 1.2 speed, 1.5 speed, whatever it happens to What's be. What's the so, voice sound like, though? Is it that annoying robot voice, and I'm going to have to listen to the whole thing just like this? You can choose the voice, really? which is kind of cool. So I Could I have an Englishman? I always use an Australian female. Oh, okay. I don't know why. It's just, you know, it's my favorite voice. Props to Angela Ponsford on staff, who is our I was going to say, you're a Margot Robbie fan, aren't you, Ralph? That, well, it's just the best voice for me. Anyway, even though my wife says that men tend to tune out female voices, like it's uh, classical music. I was raised by a single mom, dude. I snapped to attention right out the gate. I'm like, I'm about to get hit. <laughs> and I need That's to yeah. I find offense with that. But anyway, she says that every now and then. So anyway, so the article is the tough work of turning around a team, which we're going to be going through here. It's from Harvard Business Review. So if you're a leader, this is one of the things that I get every day. And I read HBR, either I get it through like the Artifact app, which we've talked about before, or I like upload articles into Instapaper and then listen to them. So there's a couple of different ways to consume this content. But some of the best, I think, leadership and management articles, especially as you're scaling and growing, this is like getting an MBA into your inbox, I find very, very valuable. So this is one of my favorite articles from way back in 2000. And you rightly pointed out that when this article was written, Bill Parcells, who is a Super Bowl winning coach, won two Super Bowls with the New York Giants, also turned around a number of different teams, my New England Patriots. Actually, after I was a, uh, well, 
the very bad 80s and 90s Patriots. And then Barcells took over and sort of took a different direction. And then they won, you know, six Super Bowls, obviously. The point is, is he writes the article right before one of his first failures when he took over as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. But I think the principles still apply here. Well, it was an uphill battle in in fairness. It was an uphill battle. He had Tony Romo as his quarterback. So, I mean, go figure. Or maybe it was Jason Garrett at that point in time. But the whole article is about if you have a team right now that is not performing to expectations – or in his case, it's an extreme case of how to turn around in the case of like the New York Giants. They only won three games in his first season. Like, how did he turn that around? And I find this sort of stuff fascinating. Like, what kind of psychology is used in order to turn around at that point, like a three and 13 team into a Super Bowl contender literally within a year or two? And he ended up winning two Super Bowls with the New York Giants. Big props to my buddy, uh, Brian Bartell, who's a huge Giants fan, listens to this show. I can't stand the Giants because they beat my Patriots in two Super Bowls in a row, thanks to Eli Manning, who I now actually think is actually a pretty, pretty good announcer. I watch him all the time now. Then Parcells became the head football coach for the New England Patriots in 1993, took him to a Super Bowl again, an abysmal team when I was a season ticket holder in 91, 92, and then he turned them around, got into the Super Bowl, didn't win. So what are the common characteristics here? And he also did this in 1997 with the New York Jets, where he took a 1-15 in team, and two years later, they were the conference champions. So this guy has three cases where he took like the worst performing teams and turned them around. What are the things that he did? And that's why I find this article fascinating, because a lot of the stuff that you read in management and leadership articles, custom, I find it's just too high-minded and it's like philosophical. He's very just direct. And he says there's three things that he did that have been consistent. And now he espouses this as upper management and consulting for coaches to turn around teams. So does that set the frame for where we're at right now? And I don't want people to say like, oh, I have a failing business. This is going to be the solution. But if you feel you might have an underperforming team, maybe in the digital marketing realm, you're a CMO, you're a digital digital marketing chief of your organization, you've got a team that's maybe listening to this show and trying to implement these things to get to that next level of scale. This is something that you need to understand in addition to all the things that we talk about on the show. Yeah. So one comment that I'll make, and it's a lesson I learned the hard way, is I try to only take advice from people that have actually done the thing. And you think to yourself, like, oh, well, of course, that's obvious. Well, it's not always. Go look at the people that write on leadership and then see how often they've actually led anything. Some of these fools and massive names, Ralph, great big TED Talks, keynotes, best-selling books, 10 million copies sold, fool hasn't led a tour bus. And so I really like when you're like, oh no, here's, you know, Jocko Willink, maybe not the most eloquent leader in the world, but Love him. God bless, just the best advice you're ever going to get in your entire life because he actually did it and he did it in a high stakes situation. And then you oh. take these highbrow academics that it's all made up. It's all theory. So I, I love learning from guys like this because guys and gals, because like, okay, you actually did the job. You did the job. And now you're going to tell me how you did it. Yeah. So there's a YouTube series I'm watching right now. I just love, I love the leadership management psychology of how stuff happens. And there's another YouTube series. We'll leave a link in the show notes for this as well, but um, not to go on to that. But a 
a great example of this is it's called The Men Who Built America, which my wife hates the title. She's like, how about The Women Who Built America? I'm like, well, you know, this starts kind of back in like the Civil War and Rockefeller and Carnegie and Vanderbilt and like kind of goes forward, Henry Ford, all this other sort of stuff. And some of the people that they have come on that are modern day examples of entrepreneurship are just CEOs of companies and never started a damn thing in there. And it pisses me off. It's like Carly Fiorina. Why am I getting entrepreneurial advice from her? She was a corporate stooge. You know, she didn't start HP. She was the CEO. And then there was like the CEO of Time Warner. But then you have guys like Steve Case, who was the AOL. He started AOL, which basically the, the reason why we have widespread internet today is because of those Remember those discs? Do, you walk got, to the Walmart, like the you get twenty thousand hours, and then if you're real smart, because your mom would put on the safety whatever precautions, you'd use AOL to go now download Net Zero, and then you had unlimited access <laughs> to the internet. Off. That's right, Net Zero. I remember that. So that's an example of people who are actually doing it, and I love advice from people who have done it. Parcells is a great example here. It's a sports example. This is rough. I wouldn't say it's rough advice. I would say it's unrefined. It's very direct. And I, it's very direct. The reason I like it is because it is so direct. I think you have to adapt what we're going to talk about here to your own style. And don't do it the way that Parcells does it, but take away the mindset more than anything because he's actually done it and reached a level of success in the sporting world. Granted, it's different than the digital marketing world, but there's a lot of similarities here. You're ultimately, if you're leading a team of media buyers or creative or whoever it happens to be, maybe you're an agency owner, you are leading a team to success, to victories mm. at the end of the day. And that's what you want. And if you're not getting the victories, I think some of these pieces of advice here, I think are very applicable. So when he first became the coach of the Giants in late 80s. One of the things was is that he inherited a team with a lot of big personalities, okay, some big stars. You know, Lawrence Taylor was on that team, Harry Carson, like some big names who ended up being total studs a little bit later on under his guidance. And he was a bit intimidated. And so when he took over the team, he didn't really take charge and he ended up almost getting fired his first year. No so way. he realized, all right, the second year all right, I realize I'm on the chopping block. I'm just going to do it my way. So he started to sort of change his tone. And I think this is an important thing. And this is something that we refer to as radical candor is one of our core values from tier 11. I would highly recommend that you think about like how you want to do this is that especially in a virtual environment, it's really important to tell people you know, exactly what's on your mind. And not soft soap it. So mm -hmm. what he says is on the first day of training camp, I laid it on the line. I told everybody that losing would no longer be tolerated. Players who were contributing to the team's weak performance would be given a chance to change. And if they didn't change, they'd be gone. Modern day example of this is, I don't know if you follow college football all that much, but Deion Sanders right now is like the thing, even though he's lost two games in a row as of this recording. He's basically, he came into the Colorado football program. They were 1-11 last year. Turned them around. They were 3-0 and to start. Now they're 3-2. and But he came in and basically did the same thing. He's like, listen, if you're not up to this standard, you will be let go. Now, this is harder to do in the corporate world when we have employees and we have employee rights and all these other sorts of things. But the point is, is that his number one message here is don't wait to earn their leadership. Just impose your leadership upon everyone. 
and in very, very simple terms, tell them that you're in charge. And this is what he did in his second year. And it was a tough message. I mean, he says, I told them what I think a team is all about and all that team, the, the highest form of success in the context of a team sport is achievement. And they could probably make a lot of money in football and buy tons of nice things, doing all these sorts of things. But the only permanent value of work lies in achievement. And that comes from relentless effort and it comes from commitment to the cause. So underscoring what the vision is here, he came in and said, all right, here's where we're going. We are not here to finish fourth. We are here to win the NFC East. That is our goal. That is our singular goal. And as a result of that, I am going to lead you in that direction. And everything that I do and that you do should be aligned in order to achieve that goal. And I think that is the mark of a leader. I think a lot of leaders don't necessarily put a stake in the ground and say, here's where we are. Here's where we're going to go. Unfortunately, that also means if you're not on board with this, that's fine. We can find you another place where you might thrive in a better environment. On somebody else's team. On somebody else's team, which is okay because this goes back to another great book, which we refer to a lot inside our internal meetings, which is Good to Create by Jim Collins. It's getting the right people on the bus, in the right seats on the bus. Can I ask you a question about the Good to Create? Yeah. I'm not trying to be overly competitive, but I, I, this is relevant to the conversation, I hope. Yeah. Have you noticed that all the companies... I have a feeling I know what the question is, by the way. Go ahead. The companies that Jim Collins references in Good to Great, I think without a single exception, all suck now. Like if you go back and read Good to Great, like it didn't age well. That is part of the message of the book is because they lost that direction. They lost... Now, they were mediocre, then became great, and then a lot of them became mediocre after that. It's because they lost what made them great. And even though Walmart is, an is not an example there, they definitely lost their way. Nucor Steel, which is one of the companies that actually is there, is still great. Fannie Mae, another example, they lost that greatness. There's a lot of examples, but he's not talking about built to last, which is a great company forever and ever. Like they were it's great. Funny, what all was the companies the built to last suck now too. That's true. The point is, is like at a certain point in time, they were great. And what inside the black box what he looks there? into and says, what brought them there? And then in his postscript, he actually has a second book that talks about this. He says, that's where they lost it. They forgot all the principles that got them to greatness mm. and they couldn't sustain it. I didn't know and that was either script exists. That makes me a little softer on him for at least acknowledging that. Good on Collins. So think about that as like a, a slice of time. And in that time, they went from fairly mediocre to great. And it wasn't necessarily market forces that did it. It was because of the principles in that book, which I think are still relevant to this day. Question is, is when you lose like your leader, a lot of cases they lost like a level five leader and that level five leader handed it off to somebody who was mediocre and they lost their way. So we could go into a lot of detail there. But anyway, that's a big question a lot of people have when they talk about good to great because I think it is still the principles in the book are really solid. And I think they do back up a lot of what we're discussing here. There's a point in a company where you become so big, all of a sudden you become so bureaucratic and then you rely on systems and processes to manage people as opposed to hiring the right people, which is a big part of this whole article here 
is finding the right types of people depending on what your culture is. And that right person is different for every business. But when you have somebody who can't compete in today's environment that maybe could a year or so ago, and we've had this happen inside Tier 11, where we've let people go because they just couldn't continue to strive and stay competitive in this world in which we exist right now, which is hyper-competitive. And as a result of that, they're elsewhere. They're probably at other agencies or some cases, maybe they moved on and started their own business, which is perfectly fine. So <laughs> we have a mutual friend who says, we release them to the market. <laughs> the nicest way of saying that. We do. Another thing, like, not that this is part of the conversation, but Bill Parcells, in, he says this sort of in the last part of it, is that when you're picking the right people, it's vital. And in the NFL, you now have to rework your team, almost like 30% of your staff every single year because of free agency. Imagine how hard that would be, dude. I mean, I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine. Like you're every year, like new people are coming in. You have to retrain them. This is just how professional sports are. That's why I always sort of thought like college athletics are really hard. It's like you get a new team, basically an entirely new team every three to four years, which is crazy. So but he does talk about that and that turnover definitely does add a wrinkle to it and refers to one of the players that he admired through the years playing for another team and ended up recruiting him, this guy Brian Cox, and ended up becoming a real stud for the New England Patriots and then uh, obviously for the Jets. So point is, is I think you've got to hold true to that right person, right seat. I know you've got a really good hiring process. We have, I think, the most kick-ass hiring process on the planet, a lot of agencies think they're great at hiring. Make it even better in some way, shape, or form. Sharpen that saw to the point where you're only accepting the best of the best. Well, can I say something along those lines? And everybody's going to hate me for this. If you want the best, you got to pay them like they're the best. So many agencies are trying to get peak performers, but then they want to squeeze down on the salary and just, you know, they want to get the most for the least. And I'm like, man, that is so short sighted. And I'm saying this as a guy, I can't afford the peak performers stateside, you know, like a peak performer media buyer stateside. I don't know what those guys make, 150 grand a year to start. Like, who knows? I don't know. That's why I go offshore. So go to where you can pay the most and pay the best. But yeah, if you want the best of the best, I think you have to pay like that. And that's such an inconvenient conversation. Anytime I bring this up to business owners and entrepreneurs, like they cannot get away from this discussion fast enough. But Mm -hmm. I just, and it's not just about the money. You're talking about people who need to win. It's how they keep score. So it's not that they're being greedy. It's that you actually need to satiate this bloodlust they have to know that they're at the top. Yeah, I think there's ways to arbitrage the workforce in a virtual environment. And there's pockets of highly, I was going to say articulate, that's not necessarily the word, but incredible talent and hunger in other countries that are outside of the U.S. And yeah. we found even some moving of those where you are pockets. in the States, right? Like don't go to necessarily True. Manhattan or San Francisco. What if it's in Kansas? And sure. I read this interesting article the other day. They did a study and found that people are willing to take a 30% pay cut if they can have uh, flexibility in terms of time and location. And 30% was the average. That's not even the peak. Like 30% on average, if they have time and location flexibility. So you don't have to pay the most, period, full stop. You have to pay the most within the confines of all the other value that you can provide. And then you find yourself peak performers. People are willing to take less. Like we've done a fair amount of recruiting the last couple of months, especially in really high value positions, like our sales position, our CSO positions. And 
we haven't necessarily gone after or attracted the people that are just looking to make a switch because they're going to make more money. What we've found is that they are buying into the idea of what they're being a part of. And I think that does go back to the Parcells article is that if you're imposing your leadership, you have to have a higher vision that people buy into. Like for us is very, very specific. And we bring this through every part of our interviewing process. And we also weed out for our five core values. So it's like, hey, you're going to be a part of this. If you have these things, you're going to be like-minded individuals. And we're all working towards this goal here, which is a worthwhile goal. And this is what that thing is. I think you as a leader have to have that in order to be able to attract and to be able to lead. And he doesn't really talk about that in this article here. You have to have a higher vision, not all the time like talking vision, 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 but it's got to be in everything. It's got to be throughout the organization. And that's what attracts the right types of people for your business. The right type of person isn't necessarily the right type of person for every business. It's the right type of person for your business. Mm -hmm. You have to get very, very clear on what that looks like. The hack that I will tell you, and I know we're belaboring this point a bit, is if you have a star employee, let's say you've got 20 people on your staff, and there's two people you're like, man, I wish I could clone them. I wish I could just, it's John Moran for you. You know, I wish I could find like five John Morans. Like, oh, dude, I don't I'd think be a they billionaire. exist. I'd be a billionaire. I don't tomorrow. think they exist. Yeah. You would be a billionaire. But the point is, is like, if you could find John Moran, so then list out all the characteristics of that person, because that's the right person for your business. And for us, we did it. We actually still have that person on staff. It was three main characteristics with some subtext. And we went and hired that person, found that person, attracted that person. And that's what created our culture. So it's a really important thing to do. Whether you have a staff of two or you have a staff of 200, it's important to go through that exercise. Because otherwise, like good to great example, they forgot that. It's one of the things that Collins talks about. It's like they just lost it. And they're like, ah, we'll just take whoever and we'll impose SOPs and procedures and it'll become super bureaucratic. And then the, just the performance just kind of goes down and down and down. So the first step is don't wait to earn your leadership. Impose it according to Parcells in this article. And you can do this however you want to do it. You don't have to do it in his way. But I think it's very important to have that as a basic tenet of leading people to success, especially if it's coming to this digital marketing stuff which is constantly evolving. The second point is the power of confrontation, Kasim. Are you comfortable with confrontation? Depends on with who and for what reason. Well, what he says is that in the clearest possible terms is you need to tell people what they're doing wrong. And if they don't want to listen, they don't belong. <laughs> but we refer to this as radical candor. This is, if somebody does something right, tell them immediately. If somebody does something wrong, tell them immediately, but do it in private, which is usually how we do it. Now, the way that Parcells does it is he says, you know, he does this, and I think this is really important, is have frank one-on-one -on -one conversations with your people. If you don't have one-on-one -on -one conversations with the people that you're reporting to, and he did this with a 53-man roster, 
if you actually watch any of the documentaries on him, he just goes around at individual conversations, invites them into his office, talks to them one-on-one, tells them frankly. One of the best lines that he uses when he talks about confrontation is, I don't think you are performing as well as you think that you can. And I think it's a very, very powerful line. I'll get the exact phrase that he says is that this ends up self-motivating people without really having to motivate them. I think you're better than you think you are. Or I don't think you're performing up to your potential. You can do better. And it's a fascinating and a brilliant way. And I do this for my kids all the time. And I do it for our staff. It's like, that's great but you can do better. I expect more from you. And what it does is it subtly tells them what they're giving you isn't enough, but you also think highly of them. There's this gap in where they're performing and where they can perform. So the gap is down here and where you think they can is up here. Now, whether or not you're making it up in your head, this, is, this could be leadership manipulation, but it's a very effective strategy especially in a high-performance culture like a football team, if you relate that back to a digital marketing team, what we really try to reward is obviously radical candor, which is the first part of what we talked about here, but also initiative. Initiative is doing things without being asked, is doing things that make the team better, that not only enhance your performance, but also enhance the rest of the team. That's where we sort of see like that's somebody helping to achieve their potential. And because digital marketing and all the things that we do are so dynamic, once you just love the media buyer comes up, I have got this great new way of doing this and I'm going to share it with the team. Doesn't that give you like chills? It's like, it's so great. Because yeah, we've got you know, a kudos like, channel in Slack right specifically for that. If somebody comes in and does a knowledge share, I played high school basketball. And one of the things I thought the coach did phenomenally well was He rarely would reward high scorers, but he'd always reward high assists. And I think that's, you know, continuing with our sports analogy, that's probably about right. Everybody wants to score, needs to score, is going to score. Great. Good for you. Pat on your back. But like the assist, man, that's a tough skill to cultivate. But when you cultivate it, you become the most valuable person on the team because now we've moved from football to basketball, but you just took yourself from being one entity that can score to five entities that can score or can position for a score. And, And if you, apply that to business, like, goodness, uh, I'm thinking right now about the people on my team, the people that are good with the assist, you know, like Yvonne, my CTO, started out as my EA. He's the best on the assist. I could do this right now. I would do a thought experiment where I just drop a random problem in Slack. He'll be the first one to be like, I'm on it. It's not even his problem, his job, his department, just I'm on it. Love those people. I do like, too. That's the epitome of initiative. Yeah. One of our five core values. It's like, those are the people you want. So, if you could have a team full of him, like they're out there. They really are. Like not in the way that he does it exactly the way that he does. Everybody does it a little bit differently, which is, makes us all interesting as humans, you know? But the point is, is, that's a great example of what we're talking about here. And he also knows that when he does that, he's probably going to get positively reinforced. Somebody's going to say something to him, an attaboy. Or, like I'm we have brutally a mean to him. I, I no compliments. Yeah. I just, yeah. <laughs> Nothing but like vitriol and hatred. (laughs) Somebody's nice to him. Yeah. It's funny, man. He's become one of my best friends. You know, it's weird how that happens. Yeah. It does evolve. 
Yeah. So one of his other lines is, and this is another one, it's in your best interest that we succeed. It's in my best interest that you succeed. We actually really want the same thing. And when I'm hiring folks, I say, listen, if what tier 11 offers you is in alignment with what you want, if it's perfectly in alignment, we have a match here. Because what you want is the same thing that we want. We want the same thing. So we're united in that goal of getting the company, obviously, to that next level of success. And success for our customers equals helping them achieve their vision. But in so doing, it helps you achieve your professional goals and your personal goals. That's nirvana in the working world. I said, whenever we interview something, like I'm the last person that does the interviews, and that is my line. Because I have to find out, like, what is it that just makes you tick? Like, what do you love doing? What could you do all day? Like, what just lights you up about this industry? Tell me what it is. And then what I try to do is align that with, you can take that thing that you love. And if that overlaps perfectly with what we're trying to do here, this is a good match. And if they have all the other five core characteristics, ultimately, that's going to be a successful working relationship. One of the things that he does say, and I'll I'll leave you on this, and the second part of this on confrontation is healthy is, and I've seen a lot of documentaries on Parcells. I I just love Parcells, first off. He's funny. even though he's a Jersey guy, not a Massachusetts guy, but... I didn't know that that was an epic battle that was raging. It's a little little thing there. Really? I've got got a lot of friends in New Jersey, actually. He says one of the biggest things when players come back to him 10 years after their playing career, they say the one thing that they remember most about him is that one line when he said, I think you're better than you think you are. And they say, that motivated me more than anything else. And they thank him for that. I think as a manager, that's a pretty powerful statement. If you don't think that about your people, if you literally think like you're lying to your people and saying that, you probably have the wrong person on the bus. Mm. So there is that too. I guess that means that nobody reaches their potential without some motivation, some encouragement. I think everybody, yeah. They say the best people don't need to be led, managed, or motivated, but... Best people need to be pushed. I don't think I've ever seen that. I think it's an archetypal truth, dude. Like Luke needed Obi-Wan. Rocky needed that weird old man in the corner. What was his name? Uh, uh, Nick. Was that no. it? Yeah. yeah. Like you can't Adrian. just. No, Nick. No, yeah. I think Nick is right. But you couldn't have Rocky just wake up and be like, I'm going to get in shape now. You know, he needed, you need that. What would you call it? It's almost paternal in guide. nature. Guide. Yeah. You need the guide. You need a guide. You need a guide. I always used to say that when I ran the regional sales division for this big, fat, corporate 500, S&P 500 company, is that spend the most time with your best people because they're the ones, no, 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 no. I'm going to spend all the time with my worst performers. So that's the worst thing you can do. You need to figure out a way to, if they're your worst performers, like what is it? Is it a training issue or is it a them issue? You need to ask yourself that question, but spend most of the time with your best people because they're the ones... You want to model success and see what they're doing so that you can teach others first off. But secondly, it's like they're the ones who need a coach. Tiger Woods isn't at the top of golf all the time. The big expression way back in the 90s was, hey, even Tiger Woods as a swing coach. Even Albert Pujols, who won like eight MVPs, had a hitting coach. Name any great performer like Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback's coach. So did Tom Brady. The point is, is like everybody needs a coach. And at the higher level, it's a tiny, tiny little incremental differences. I have a coach. I have a business coach. 
you have a coach, you have mentors, you have people that help you at a higher level get to that next level. So do you need it as motivation? No. Does it help you get to the next level of performance when you have that kind of input from an individual? And Parcells does this extremely well. Yes. He was coaching probably the greatest linebacker of all time, Lawrence Taylor was not Willie McGinnis. Sorry, Patriots fans. But Lawrence Taylor and even Lawrence Taylor needed motivation. And that's what Parcells did. It's like, oh, you got 14 sacks. Oh, you missed that one in the Seattle game back in October because you did you know, the swim move and you should have gone on the inside. You went to the outside. And it's like, ah, oh. you know, like that's how you would do it because LT was just this super competitive guy. So yes, everybody needs it. Do they get it? A lot of times... No, but I do think that's the difference between a high-level performance and a superior level of performance when it comes to your team. And when it comes to us? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, I, I think it's worthy of mentioning here because a lot of the people we're talking to, are they're not necessarily at the top. You know, I sold my agency. I'm no longer at the top. I'm in the middle. And so what we're talking about me dispelling should also be the thing that I expect and maybe even ask for. You know, it's like, hey, I need some radical candor for my own improvement opportunities. What can I do better? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to be entering a new stage of your career. You're already starting to sort of lay the groundwork for that. I mean, it's going to be in this space. You need now, you need, you've checked that box of, hey, I've sold my agency. That's a pretty big box to check. Not many people get to that point. Not many people get to build a multi million dollar company. You know, it's like, what, less than one half of 1% get to 5 million and then 10 million? It's like, 0.001%. I forget what the percentages are. It's a very, very small portion. And then to sell it, you're in rarefied air. So what's that next step? Is it going to be like a Greg Smith is going to get you to the next stage or another type of mentor? I know you're part of all these groups, but it's like every stage you need somebody to push you to that next level. Or maybe it's going to be me. Maybe I could just be your mentor. There you go. Yeah. And all you'll take is 10%, I bet. All I'll take is 15%. I negotiate that. <laughs> All right. So the last rule here from this article, once again, we're referring to an article, The Tough Work of Turning Around a Team by Harvard Business Review and Bill Parcells is the final step after confrontation is healthy, which was number two, which we just talked about, is success breeds success. And I think this is a really important one as well. And I, I like the fact that there's only really three tips here, which makes it super digestible yeah, in a lot of ways. This is not a 17-thing list. Like, Just focus on these big things, trying to distill down what helps turn around underperforming teams. Or in your case, maybe your team is just doing good. You want them to get to that next stage of growth. Is As much as you are in cognizant and having... Uh, radical candor type of conversations or healthy confrontation discussions about their weaknesses. It's just as important, if not more important, to always build a culture of success, which means layering on little victories, small wins. So he talks about how to win games. How do you turn around a 1-15 in 15 team into a team that actually wins a conference championship? Well, you do it by small steps. It's not all one big motivational speech. It's not one fell swoop. It's all these tiny little things. And one of the things that he talks about is you need to believe as a team that you have the ability to win games. You have to believe in the ability to win, which is a first 
big step. And you do that by, for example, in training camp, use your own example of how you can apply this in your business. We don't focus, he says, we don't focus on the ultimate goal, which is winning the Super Bowl. We establish goals that are within immediate reach. Yeah, incremental. Okay. So small gains, like we're going to be a smart team. We're not going to take unnecessary penalties. We're not going to do offsides. We're not going to have encroachment. We're not going to have any of these sort of smaller like penalties that just are little nicks. We're not going to throw the ball away. We're not going to fumble. We're going to be a smart team. We're going to make sure we manage the clock well. Like all these things, like that's the first step. We're going to become a smart team first. Then we're going to be a well-conditioned team. All right. So we're going to do lots of cardio. We're going to run up this hill that they run up, you know, in Patriots practice, which is like awful, I guess. And they just do that at the end of practice. We're going to be a team that plays hard, like put in the effort. And to your point, it's the coach that rewards the assist, not the players who actually score. And for me, it's all about, I don't necessarily care what the result is. Like, for example, my son is a baseball player. I don't compliment him on going three for five. I compliment him on smart at bats. I compliment him maybe on the two walks that he took or maybe the two pitches that he took for strikes to set up the three-two pitch because I know that that's where he does his best work when he's in a three and two count. I compliment those things, the effort, the journey, not the result. Because the result is variable, especially in baseball. It's like once you connect with the ball, and we're mixing our metaphors again, you don't know where it's going to go. Babe Ruth, once your yeah. quarterback throws a pass, like it could get tipped, you know, then you don't exactly know where it's going to go. But it's like, did you set up correctly? Did you call the right play? Did you read the defense well? Did you think as a situational quarterback? Like all these things, fill in the blanks what it is in digital marketing. Talk about those things because those things are the small steps that lead towards the big goal. And this is what he talks about in this article in a very, very clear term. So plays hard. We're going to be a team that has pride. We're going to be a team that wants to win collectively. We're going to be a team that doesn't criticize each other. And so you compliment like, hey, today was a great practice. And this is what we did really, really well this is what we're going to work on tomorrow. And every day, it's like reinforce the things that people do well, and then say, these are the things we're going to work on tomorrow, we're going to get better at. And so you get a little bit better by increments every single day. So quote that he uses, we got something done today, we executed real well, I'm really pleased with your work. Here's what I want you to do tomorrow. So you did this well today, here's what we're doing tomorrow. Don't rest on your laurels, we're always moving forward. I want to see flawless special teams work. If you accomplish that, then we'll be ready for the game on Sunday. Not to win the game on Sunday, but we're going to be ready for the game on Sunday. So the point is, is like every little step along the way, especially if you have an underperforming team, like all these tiny little incremental improvements that you can leverage with your team start to add up to the big wins. The small wins eventually equal the big wins. So confrontation is healthy, but also set small goals and hit them. These are really the three core concepts from this entire article. Obviously, we'll leave links in the show notes here. The bottom line is, we talked about this throughout, is having the right types of people on staff. But if you think about where you can apply this today, tomorrow, and how this can make you become a better leader, better marketing executive, better agency owner, these are the things I find that lead to better performance. And this show is all about like performance and digital marketing. But it's a human endeavor. And if you can 
get more performance or squeeze more performance, bring the best out of everyone using some of these tactics and also some of the things that you learn on the show here, you will achieve a level of success. So thoughts, comments, concerns, custom confessions. No, I think confessions. It's, a, it's a worthy read. It's not long, which sort of speaks to, I, I think the brilliance is in the brevity in a lot of ways. Like you said, it's only three tips, but if you're listening to this and this resonated, I'd go check out the article because there's a lot of little nuggets in here that just resonate. It's the perfect metaphor. People always say that sports metaphors are exclusionary because they alienate people who don't like sports. The problem with that is they're just so aligned. They are. Business is so much like a game in this very specific way too. So I think this is awesome and I appreciate you sharing this with me. Yeah. I love it because it is brief and it crystallizes a lot in a very short period of time. And we'll leave some links in the show notes too. This, if you want to read more about this guy, Parcells, and just analogies in sports and football in particular, we'll leave some links in the show notes on that. There's a series on NFL Network called America's Game, which I absolutely love. It takes like all the big stars and the coaches and breaks down how they became who they are and what path led them to that way. And there's one on Parcells, which is outstanding. So if you want a little bit more on that, we'll leave some links in the show notes there. Of course, let us know what you think. This is a bit of a departure today. Awesome. It's not all about digital marketing sometimes. Sometimes it's about mindset. It applies. It absolutely applies. So let us know, subscribe, leave a rating. Wherever you're listing, we're uh, probably a little bit behind on doing our shout outs for ratings. We'll do that on next show. Custom. <laughs> but obviously, let us know what we can do better over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. I would actually leave a rating because those come directly to us for right now. Perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better is absolutely important, but leave us a rating. We'll certainly read that out on the air for you, give you a little props for your business. If you want that as well, follow Perpetual Traffic and myself on all our socials, me especially on LinkedIn, Custom everywhere on every social known to mankind at Qasem Azalam and go back and listen to previous episodes. We'll leave links there. And of course, check us out on our YouTube channel at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. All resources and show notes will be at perpetualtraffic.com on behalf of my awesome co-host Qasem Azalam. Peace. Peace. Until next show. See ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 